Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. The family, child training, all of that this afternoon. Galatians 5. Verse number 19, the Bible says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, these which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, they which should Uh, They which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Without biblical training, that's the downward spiral. Families, individuals will spiral downward because of the works of the flesh. We see the upward spiral in the next set of verses, starting with, 22, contrasting the downward spiral of the works of the flesh, we see the fruit of the Spirit is uh, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such. There is no law. Notice there's works of the flesh, and then there's not works of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's produced in the Christian's life. By the Holy Spirit. That's the upward spiral. And that's what we should be having in our mind as we are training our children and raising our families for the Lord. There's a downward spiral and there's an upward spiral. We need to be careful, I guess, the warning this afternoon for all of us is that we don't take a pragmatic approach to child training um, because we can get into a situation where we are just taking our kids to church or ourselves attending church for the wrong reasons. I'd much rather have someone in church for the wrong reasons than not in church at all. Because a lot of times they show up for the wrong reasons and the right reasons work themselves out. But when I say the wrong reason that a parent, I, I want my, praise the Lord. My kids are saved. Praise God. And I'm taking them to church. Whether they like it or not, (laughs) I'm raising them in church, whether they're saved or they're not. But me taking them to church isn't a guarantee that they get saved. Okay, so it's not pragmatism. It's not, Lord, I'm doing this. And so now, because I'm doing this, I want this result. That's pragmatism. Man seeks to have his endpoint fulfilled. The goal of when you have an 18-year-old, a 16-year-old, dare I say a 15 or 14-year-old, is to have Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, working in their life at that age. 
That is the goal. So we teach them not to do verses 17 and 18 and 19, right? But who has to produce the fruit? The Holy Spirit does. So I'm just asking us to take a, a step back and just look at pragmatism and say, let's be careful of taking a pragmatic approach because there's no guarantee that because mom and dad, it, 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 there's no guarantee that we are saved and we have the fruits of the spirit that because we teach them about this, then that's going to guarantee that they will. Because then salvation is based upon mom and dad's pragmatic approach to child training. And people get disappointed. People have been disappointed because they've been told, well, if you just follow this course, if you just follow this child training instructional manual, that your kids will turn out great. I have known preachers. I know preachers. Great men of God, great preachers, and their kids didn't get saved. Well, I'm a preacher, so that guarantees my kid gets saved. No, that's pragmatism. That's wrong thinking. There isn't any guarantee that your children will turn out the way that you want them to turn out. God wants you to turn out the way he wants you to turn out. <laughs> so I'm saying, praise God. So you know how God wants me to turn out? The same way he wants you to turn out in verse 22 and verse 23. And they, and verse 24, and they that have, are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another and being one another. It's not a contest. And I know the bigger a church gets, the more you run the risk of having clicks. And I don't even know what that's supposed to mean anymore because I don't know. Are clicks a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. Like, I mean, the, the ladies that are into gardening, do I need to be into that? Like, I, like why? Like, okay, they're going to talk about stuff they like. We're going to talk about stuff we like. Guys that are into fishing probably gravitate towards each other. I mean, I don't see the big deal. The big deal comes when people are isolated spiritually because, well, we don't like such and such because they're not as spiritual as we are. That's where the cliques become a problem. Interests and hobbies are a natural thing. So why are we here? Why are we here? Why are we raising our kids? For God's glory, not for our glory. I want my children to turn out great and do great things for God. I pray to that end. I train to that end. I, I desire that. And then if it doesn't happen, well, it must have been our fault. Maybe it wasn't your fault. Because I have known men and women who have done it right. And their kids went astray. But you know what our heart has to do? It doesn't have to, but it typically does. We look at what happened and we say, well, this is why, and this is why, and this is why, and this is why. Maybe all your this is why's is wrong. 
Maybe they just didn't want to receive Christ. Maybe they just didn't want to live for God. Our, our heart searches for a reason why it happened. Well, it must have been because they were listening to rock music for 10 years. Well, I listened to it for 15 years and I'm preaching the word of God. Praise the Lord. I'm not saying you should allow your children to do that. I don't allow my children to do that. I know the harm that that did to me. I know the years it took off my life in service to the Lord. Don't do it. Don't listen to it. Get rid of it. But God can take the worst of sinners through the most worst of parents and turn them into a Christian that's living for God. You're looking at someone who had strict rules from parents that spent time with their kids, loved their kids, trained their kids. I was the oldest of six. And yes, I had times when I had to help out. I was in charge of this and that. But by and large, my mom and dad trained me. And if someone going to go right, dad was going to figure out a way to make it go right. And we'll get to in a minute on friends. But that's kind of where things are going uh, with what we're uh, the second thing we're going to talk about. Uh, before we get there, go to Colossians 3. Look at verse number 20, Colossians 3.20. We should be there. We've got our spots with it. Uh, children, obey your parents in all things. For this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. So young kids, young, young people, I want you to look up and listen. If you say yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, to your school teachers, and you disrespect your parents, you're out of line. If you say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, to your basketball coach, your archery coach, your karate instructor, and you go home and you're disrespectful to mom and dad, you're just you're just wrong. You're out of line. Because the Bible says obey your parents. Should you obey other adult authorities? Yes. But most importantly, obey your parents. Because if you're obeying other authorities and not your parents, that ain't right. Obey your parents. They feed you, they give you clothing, they give you a place to live. They bring you to church. Thank the Lord for that. And then it says, fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. And may I say to you this morning, children will obey under a condition of anger. But when they are 14 or they're 16 or they're 18, they're gone. 
because nobody can function under a condition of anger long term. They can deal with it short term. A lot of grown men deal with this with their boss. Man, this guy's a, a nut. He flies off the handle every day at two o'clock. So everybody scrambles, get away from the mean boss and, and get on with their assignment, do what they have to do. Anger can be tolerated in short bursts, but it can't be lived with long term. Children will obey, but you're going to have a really, really hard time getting the fruit of honor thy father and mother when they're older. Because honor is an affectionate respect that children have for their parents. And it makes it really, really hard for them to affectionately respect you if you're an angry, mean, bitter person as a parent. You want to raise your kids right, do it without flying off the handle in anger. I'm not talking about righteous indignation. No, I'm not talking about dad getting loud and firm, mom getting loud and firm when she needs to. Hey, pay attention. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. Right? Sometimes they need to be rattled a little bit. Hey, wake up. Go to Proverbs 29. Last verse I ask you to turn to. Proverbs 29. Look at verse number 17. The Bible says, Proverbs 29, 17, Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. He shall give delight unto thy soul. He's free from the anxiety and the guilt that's built up inside him. That's why correction is needed. It puts his mind at ease. It brings closure to the situation. It closes it out. And correction is a good thing. So you are correcting. You are training your children not in anger. You are bringing them to church. You are training them um, on principles found in Galatians 5. Not to get a pragmatic result. But to honor God. I'm correcting you because I want to honor my Lord. Son, I'm chastising you because before God, I want to honor him and do what is right and pleasing in his eyes. I'm not correcting my son to get a result other than I want to honor God. God will bring upon the fruit. And the more I'm fixated on the result, the less I'm fixating on honoring God. Because I have to get what I'm concluding I think should happen and I should get in this situation. Well, what if my kids don't turn out right? Well, what if you honor God in training them and they don't turn out right? I mean, isn't that, isn't that what we're looking for? Honor God by training them right. And just watch what you do, Lord. I mean, okay, is it okay. What's the next verse of Proverbs twenty-nine? 
It's a problem with many people, and I would submit to you this morning, it is becoming an increasing problem in the homeschooling community. Where there is no vision, the people perish, and he that keepeth the law, happy is he. I've said this before, I'll say it again. It's called homeschooling for a reason, because schooling takes place. Too many parents, it's just homing. They're just home. And if they're just home, there's no vision. They're just going to become screen, screen zombies. We don't want that. We want there to be a, what's the vision for the family? What's the vision for the eldest son? What's the vision for the eldest daughter? Well, I'm just trapped at home. I've seen some of these. I started to say kids. They're not kids. Over the years, I've seen families where the daughter's 30. And dad still has her under lock and key. Like nobody's good enough. She's not prepared enough. You better give them a vision. Give them a vision. Giving them a vision doesn't mean throwing them out into the world and saying, figure it out. It means train them with some perspective of what is to come. Well, you can't do this. 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 Watch out for 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 this. This is worldly. This is worldly. This is worldly. This is worldly. Okay, what can I do? Tell me what I can do. Well, you can play checkers at the end of the uh, Bible conference once a year. Come on, Dad. Give me more than that. Can you at least show me how to chop down a tree? Can you at least show me how to, you know, build something so I might have a skill to make some money? I mean, there's got to be more to life than you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. Okay. All right. Guy tells his wife, I'll make all the decisions. I'll make the decision on this, decision on this, decision on this. She's no vision. I give her no vision, nothing to hope for. Except wait for me to come home and make a decision. Who wants to live like that? What plants are we buying this weekend? <laughs> All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. The scripture we have, it is profitable in a corrective mode with children. For, for instruction in righteousness, the man of God may be perfect. That's a condition you can remain in. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Correction, biblically, what it has built in it is a vision. A vision. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. There's got to be a vision. You're corrected for wrong. What do I do instead? This isn't right. Okay, tell me what is right so I can do that. Give me a vision. Give me something to look forward to. Give me something that I can do. And then hopefully some praise comes along with that. How many hours are in a day, young people? How many hours? Call out the answer. 24. 24 hours. I'm afraid to ask this one. Oh, boy. How many hours do we sleep? I know you're afraid to answer. <laughs> very, very carefully crafted answer, Haley. Very good. She said six to ten. Yeah, more like like five or six for some of us adults. But 
Typically, kids will get eight to 10 hours of sleep. Let's go at 10. Let's go at 10 for the sake of making the math easy. I know some of the kids are homeschooled. We don't want to make it too hard for y'all. <laughs> I guess if you're not smart, you can blame your teacher, right? Right. So, so you got, if you got 24 hours in a day and you take away 10 hours, how many hours do you have left? 14 hours. Very good. Good math in the back. I know some go to school, some are homeschooled, but if you go to school, that's eight hours at school. That's 18 hours. Eight at school, 10 sleeping, that's 18. You got six hours left. Well, if it's three hours on the tablets and the TVs, and then it's three hours with friends, guess how much time mom and dad is spending with the child, if that's the scenario? That would be. El Zilcho, <laughs> El Zero. That'd be zero hours that parents spent with their children. You can't bring them to church on Sunday and expect the preacher to fix it with one sermon. Ain't going to happen. You're going to have to recalibrate your schedule. The sad reality. Most kids in America are being trained by tablets, phones, and TV. Because mom and dad are either A, too worn out, B, too busy with their own expeditions, or C, haven't thought about this until now. In other words, the clues. Don't complain if the fruits of the spirit aren't being worked out in their life because you really think they're going to get it through tablets and TV. And I mean, okay. Three hours with their friends who you don't know what they're talking about, what they're thinking about, what they're doing. That's going to be a problem. Have you ever met an adult through the course of your adult years where you you get you 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 you're speaking to this adult or at least you try to and they all they all all they do is talk about themselves. The whole conversation it's about me 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 me. You know how they got like that? Typically it's through habits as a child. Because when you're consumed with yourself and your friends, that's all you do is talk about you and think about you. That's how adults get that way. Children today are under a lot of pressure to not look uncool in front of their friends. So when they do come home after three hours with their friends, they're disconnected from the family. They're disinterested in the family. They're indifferent to the family. We as Christian parents and grandparents must work diligently to break this cycle. Now, the world says what I just described is normal and natural. It's not. It's what Galatians 5 says. It's the works of the flesh. Let's go back to Galatians 5. 
because it is not normal. Galatians 5, verse 19, now the works of the flesh are manifest. These are adultery, fornication, uncleanness. Maybe kids just foul and dirty. Foul mouths, dirty mouths, just unclean. Uh, lasciviousness, that's they're just lustful. They're, it's loose living. It's lasciviousness. Idolatry. Kids get together. I'm not talking just non-Christian kids. I'm talking about Christian kids. And all they're talking about is their sports hero. Their music hero. Their movie star hero. Young people, that's idolatry. I'm not saying don't talk about what's going on in the news and be up to date on, okay, this team won that. I'm, I'm like, okay, fine, fine. If that's your hobby, that's great. But when you are constantly obsessed with that, now you may think this is a silly rule. It's not in the Bible. And I'm not being dogmatic about it. And if you do this, I don't think that you're a bad parent. But we have a rule that our kids aren't going to wear sports jerseys with some other guy's name on the back. You know why they sell the jerseys with the guy's name on the back? Because all the kids want to be like that guy. They don't want to be like the Apostle Paul. They don't know who he is. <laughs> they don't want to be like Jesus Christ. Who's that? Give me Santa Claus. They don't want to be like that. He's a dope. All he does is read the Bible and try to live right. I mean, give me a sports hero that's got muscles, runs around in his tights, and gets big money, has big cars, and lives a fornicating lifestyle. Oh, I want to be like him. Just say, you know what? We're not wearing jerseys with other men's name on the back. You want to wear a, you want to wear a jersey with somebody's name on it. You know whose name it's going to be? The name above every name. The name of Jesus Christ. Trust Jesus. Jesus saves. I got the number one father. Every day's happy Father's Day. My heavenly father loves me. That's what we're going to do. Now my kids grow up and they don't want to have that rule. Fine. Fine. If you don't have that rule, fine. I'm not saying you need to do it. I'm just using it as an example. Idolatry just creeps in. And witchcraft. All the bad music that I listened to all revolved around witchcraft. And they were all Satanists or practicing witchcraft, either for real or for show to get paid. And you do something for show long enough, you hang around with it, you're going to end up going that route anyway in your life. Who were these bands? I'm not telling you. Because I don't want you to know about it. I wish I didn't have it in my mind. I wish I didn't have to go into some public places or I'm out doing something and boom, that song comes on and I know the words. Haven't thought about it in 15 years, but all of a sudden, there it is. You sing the same stuff over, you get in the same side. It's witchcraft. That's all it is. All those guys are devil worshipers. 
witchcraft, hatred, variance. There meet people that are always in a constant state of disagreement. You, you want to go left, they want to go right. They just want to, their, their goal in life is to change the right of law. We're going to go to McDonald's. No, I want to go to Burger King. We're going to go to the park. No, I want to go to the lake. We're going to get a haircut. No, I want to go. I want to go shopping for clothes. It's just people are in a variance. Why don't you come out and pass out tracks with us? No, I'm going to go on my own. It don't matter what it is. They have to find another way to have variance. It's not a healthy way to live. It's not how God wants us to live. Emulations. It's a contention with the desire to, to depress somebody else. They want, it's a want, a desire of superiority. Carnal recognition, carnal reward to press down someone else. All of these things, parents, you have to train out of your kids. Because I don't care if you homeschool them, public school them, Christian school them, or have private tutors to school them. Dads, tag your it. Moms, tag your it. It's your job to train this stuff out of your kids because it's going to be there because it was there in you and it was there in me. It's the works of the flesh. You'll end up with sedition. That's a, You get a bunch of enough uh, rebellious kids together, you're going to have a sedition. We're going to gather to disturb the peace. <laughs> They're going to gather to disturb the peace. I'll tell you one of the things I did as a young person. And uh, I guess the parents can blame me. If your kids do it, then you can get and, and yell at me if, if they do this. But now we don't do the, any of these holidays now. But growing up, we did all these holidays. And Halloween was a big But see, as kids, we didn't just have Halloween. We had mischief night. It was the night before Halloween. And so all the kids in the neighborhood, we'd all get together. It was a sedition. We'd all get together and conspire together. And, you know, you litter somebody's yard with toilet paper and you put that around the mailbox and you do this at the. Yeah. And then we all went home and to survive the spanking that we were going to get for unaccountable time, not home. You know, what we had to do lie. Some of the kids in the neighborhood, their parents were on to it. We got it anyway. Well, you got it anyway. Take soap and you write, you know, something on somebody's window and all that. And I'll tell you, you know what that is? You get a bunch of rebellious kids together, they'll start doing stupid stuff. And that's what that was. Oh, it's one night. It's called Mischief Night. We have a pass to get away with it. Now let's sneak behind our parents' back. I'm telling you, parents, you have to train that out of your children. They will want to do one of the things on this list, if not more. Um, uh, 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 emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings. Why? If little Jenny got a new, um, a new dress, 
And little Julie sees that little Jenny got a new dress. Why does little Julie say, Mom, I want to have that dress. I want to have one with more flowers. I want to have one. Why? Because you got to train envying out of that child's heart because they see something and they can't. It's impossible for them to be happy for the girl that's got the new dress. They, they have to envy that. That's there in all kids. You have to train that out of them. You have to recognize that that's there. Reveling, they're just carousing. And revelings typically involves drunkenness, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. I would tell the kids stories about me as a child, and they, they like the stories especially the ones I tell them about my friend Bonehead. But uh, but I tell them this same way. I said, all of the trouble that I got into as a young person, it was all because of bad friends. My parents eventually moved us out of the development we were in. But it was just a neighborhood of just sedition. It was a bunch of kids who were old neighborhood. And I, I, you know, was one of the ringleaders and I've, I paid dearly for it, but none of that is good. You got to train this out of your kids. Bad friends will share sin with your child, even if you don't allow whatever that sin is at your home. You may not allow drunkenness at your home. Praise the Lord. None of us do. But if your child gets mixed up with the wrong friends and they allow it, Guess what they're going to be doing? This is why you got to train them. Well, let, let's let's move on. Luke 16, I'll read it to you. you. Don't turn there for the sake of time. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is also unjust also in much. It's why I was telling you before, well, kids can't do anything. I tell them what they can do. You have to give them something that they can be faithful in. It's small. Let them get a little win. So you can you can have them be faithful in something else. Preacher, I don't know what my kid can do where if I'm not there, the whole thing isn't going to go to. You're going to have to figure something out. It might be, hey, make a piece of toast. If they can be faithful in that little thing, give them something else. I'll show you three examples in the Bible on how that works out. Go to Genesis 39. You've got to give them a vision. And part of that vision is giving them something small to be faithful in and building from there. Because if you don't give them a vision, somebody will. 39, Genesis 39. Joseph gets sold into slavery. He's 17 years old. He ends up at Potiphar's house. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, verse 1. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, and his master saw that the Lord was with him. And that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. That's three times we see the Lord with him. Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him. 
And he made him overseer over his house. And all that he had, he put to his hand. It came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. Potiphar was impressed with Joseph because he wasn't a rebellious wiseacre. He was faithful in little, and now he's at a point where he's in a bad spot. He ends up at Potiphar's house, and I see something in that guy. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. You know how much trust that takes? And he knew not all he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. Why? Because he was faithful in that which was least. It came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. She said, lie with me. It goes on. But I think we're good. We get the point. Joseph was faithful in that which is least. And it played out positively for him when he was in a bad spot. If you want your kids to be able to respond right in a, in a bad situation, you're going to have to start giving them a vision. You're going to have to start giving them some things they can be faithful in. And if it's a bad spot, guess what? They'll handle it right. That's what Joseph did, 1 Samuel 17. Let's look at two more. 1 Samuel 17, look at verse 32. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail, verse 32. Because of him, thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For thou art but a youth. And he a man of war from his youth. You know what you got? A giant that's been fighting since he's a kid. Now he's an adult. Now just like Joseph, 17 years old, he's sold into slavery and he's living for God. If your kids don't have a vision, if they were never giving something to have faithfulness in something small do you really think when they get out into the big bad scary world that they're going to survive they're not now you got david here we're talking about he's a youth and people are confused and david's going to go and defend himself they say maybe what, what do you think david is we don't know for, i don't know for sure 14 years old 15 years old 16 years old he's under 20 when he kills goliath he's under 20 You got some 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds, they don't know how to do anything but move their thumbs. You try to talk to them as an adult, and it's like, blah, 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 I'm a game zombie. What, like, what is that? You're gonna go out and you're gonna go out and function? I mean, we're getting a marriage later, but that kid ain't marrying my kid. There's no way. There's no way. Where are we? Verse 34. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. 
I'm a shepherd. Saul, I'm a shepherd boy. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. David, as a young boy, was faithful in tending his sheep. He didn't know he was going to go fight a Philistine. Not when he's tending sheep. And he went out after him and smote him, verse 35, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I called him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. And you know why we don't have more young men wanting to go out and preach the word? You know, we don't have more young men wanting to go out into the mission field. Instead, instead, they go off to some cemetery school and learn how to market church. And they make it look like a bar and a dance hall. And they just attract all the carnal youth because they're wimps. They don't know how to fight. They've never been faithful in something small. They're cowering, yellow-bellied wimps. We need some more Davids. It says, you know what? You know what? I tended my sheep. And if there was a predator that was going to try to come and harm it, I defended my flock. We need some preachers. We need some young men. We need some young women that are going to grow up and say, you know what? I'm standing for God no matter what. And you're not going to stand for God if you have never been allowed to be faithful in anything to stand for God. Do you know why I keep pushing you to have your kids come out and pass gospel tracts out? How many adults do you see doing that in our town? They were never taught as a child. How many preachers you see out preaching on the street? You might on occasion see some guy that looks like he's homeless that doesn't have a bath in three weeks. We've seen some of them. It's like you want to drop off a razor to them. Hey, you might want to trim up and give them some clothes. I mean, I've seen some real ratty looking people standing out for the Lord. I'm thinking to myself, why don't you clean up a bit? You see a well-dressed man standing out there preaching open air the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why they don't do it? They're embarrassed. It doesn't make them look cool in front of their preacher friends. Because the man of God is supposed to be up here and everybody else is supposed to be down here. That's why. Oh, yeah, we believe in it just in somebody else's town. They're embarrassed. Now, I know not everybody's called to do that. But everybody is called to be out publicly somehow standing up for the Lord. You know why we don't see a lot of adults doing that, adult Christ Christians? Because they weren't trained as children. Put a Jesus Save shirt on. Put a bumper sticker on your trough. Have them get a little plate that says Jesus Save. Have them put it on their bicycle. Go out to one of the festivals with them and hand some tracks out with them. They're not going to do it if you don't train them to do it. That's David. That's David.
<laughs> All right, let's do Daniel. Let's do Daniel. Third chapter, Daniel 3. Daniel chapter 3. You got to train your kids to have a vision, be faithful in that which is least. Daniel chapter 3. Watch this other example. And verse number 11. And whoso falleth not down to worshipeth, that he should be cast in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Verse 12. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, then brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach? O Meshach? And Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up. Now, if you be ready, that at what time you hear the sound of cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, sultry, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Gentlemen, the goal in your life is not to stay a little boy forever. Why do they make the third grade desks so small? So you don't fit in them at age 23. That's why. Get out of the third grade. Life is tough. You're going to learn. You're going to have to learn to be tough. If you're going to stand for God. And you're only going to do that if you possess the fruit of the spirit. And you know what good old Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't fight about? Their names. They left it alone. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were their names. Their Hebrew Jewish names. And you know what the king gave them? Some Babylonian names. You know what they didn't do? They didn't fight with the king about their names. You know what the government's going to do to you? Some things you wish it did. Taxes, just going down the line, all, all that stuff. Pick one. You know what they didn't fight the government about? Their names. They left it alone. You know what they did fight them about? I'm not bowing down and worshiping your God. Are you ready to do that, young person? Or are you staying in the third grade of Christianity? Now, I'm telling you right now, at this point in my life, at three o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday in April, I'm ready to do that. Are you? 
Now, it hasn't happened to me. I'm just telling you as now, okay? There was a hill they were willing to die on. And it wasn't that they got new names from the government. Well, I'm not getting a social security number. That's a number they want to use to control you. Take the name. Take the new identification. But they learned at a young age to be faithful in that which is least. And when it came time for them to stand up for their God, they were willing to die on that hill. I am not, I am not bowing down and worshiping your God. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. Great example. Great example. Go to Luke 2. We've got to give our kids things that they can be faithful in, in something small, and build on that. They have to have a vision. The three examples we looked at is exactly what we're talking about. Luke 2, verse 41. Okay, this is Jesus. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, Uh, that triggered me go back Daniel um, I don't know how Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego I don't know exactly how old they were but I'm pretty sure reading commentaries the youngest they were may have been 13 but they were no older than 20 they were under 20 all of the examples that we looked at were all young men Kelly told me he, he never knew what it was like to not work, not do a man's work at 14 years old. He's doing a man's work. We have boys that are 24. They, they, they can't work all day. We got men in their 70s that can outwork 24-year-old men. They've been mommied their whole life. Mamas, you got to let those boys go. You got to let those boys work. They don't know how to work. They don't know how to fight. You mommy them the whole time. Then you get weaned. Really do. All of these were young men. You imagine being David. I know all you young ones imagine being David when you're 10 or 12. You can be him as an adult. Just wrap up here in Luke 241. Verse 42, uh, verse 43, and when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of him. Now, my mom cared about us. And if she didn't know what we were doing, she was a nervous wreck. I'm a guy. I know what a guy is. I'm not a woman. I know what a woman is. And I know we're different. <laughs> so I know that all mamas perceive their little baby boy. Oh, he's out. I don't know what he's doing. Just like Mary. Okay. But verse 44. So she, she, mother knew not of it. But they supposing him to have been in the company when a day's journey. And they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. 
And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. It came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. At 12 years old, at 13 years old, your child, your male child better have some adult responsibility. And I don't care if it's bailing hay for the neighbor, working somewhere, but you better give him some adult responsibility so he can learn to be a man. If your goal is to keep him a little baby his whole life, he's going to end up being a baby his whole life. And so there, I'm sure any mom would feel this way. Three days, oh no, where's my little baby? Well, they found out where he was. Doing right. And if you train, train your kid to do right, trust it'll do right. Just because. Look, I have done this. As parents, we use, we use faulty argumentation. Just because when you were alone, you did wrong, that doesn't mean when everybody's alone, they do wrong. In argumentation or in logic, that's called the slippery slope fallacy. If we allow them to do A, B might happen, so we don't allow A. Well, I know when I was out by myself, this is the trouble I get into. So I know that if they're out by themselves, they're going to get into trouble. That doesn't hold up in any type of logic or argumentation. It's called a slippery slope fallacy. You... Let's finish reading the verse. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Something good came out. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrow. We'll end with this thought. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. And his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is a situation where Jesus was 100% correct and right. And mama was wrong. Young people. Your mom and your dad might be wrong at times. They are not right on every decision they make. No parent is. But you know what Jesus did? He was in the right because he's Jesus. And he still obeyed his parents. Well, my parents, they just don't understand. They're, they were wrong about this. Okay, well, then you act like Jesus and obey them anyway. But there's another principle here that I think us as parents can take away. At 12 years old, he's doing a man's work. At 12 years old, he's about his father's business. We must train our children and expect them at 12, at 13, at 14, at 15 to be about their father's business. And if we don't train them young, there is a very low likelihood that they will continue on as adults. Let them fail. Let them gain some faithfulness in little things. 
so that by, by the time they're 12, 13, 14, guess what? They can be about their father's business. And young people, in the meantime, if your parents say something or do something or want you to do something, and they haven't gotten the situation right, and you just know in your head that you've got it right, be like Jesus and obey your parents. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.